Come on, tell them they're looking good in the house of God today. And that'll buy me a moment to say welcome to those of you joining us online. So thankful you're making time to worship Jesus with us. Come on, we're going to grow in our faith together today as we dig into God's word. If you have your Bible with you, would you turn or click to Mark chapter 10? And I'm excited to bring a message on Serve Team Sunday. Serve Team Sunday is something that we do a couple times a year just to highlight and elevate the importance and the significance of servanthood in the lives of those who are Christ followers. It's about so much more than just recruiting volunteers for the church. It's about underlining the heart of following Christ, of being a Christ follower, which, was, which is serving our community. And servanthood starts in the house of God, but this message goes well beyond serving within the house of God. I, I really believe, I, I, I love preaching these messages because I really believe to, that, that to those who will grab a hold of it, to those that will allow it to really resound in their hearts, to those who will commit themselves to go or to rededicate themselves to go and live this out, I believe that living a life of servanthood invites the blessing of God at every turn, every area, every arena, every relationship within your life. And so I, I feel like, you know, a few years ago we renamed our teams that serve to help us to do ministry and church here as a church family, we renamed them from dream teams to serve teams. And listen, it doesn't rhyme anymore, and I, I kind of was reluctant to make that change, but I felt the Lord prompt me to revisit it and to just go ahead and call it what it is, we're here to serve. Serve teams. And I do not believe that the church has done anyone any favors by minimizing the call and the mandate, the challenge and the encouragement to every person, every man, every woman, every believer to be a servant. Because a, a few years ago in an effort to maybe be seeker friendly or to be accommodating or not to step on people's toes, we kind of minimized this message. And I believe that again, it did not do us any favors in the arenas of our hearts, our minds, our workplaces, our marriages, our families, our church congregations and our communities. Once again, the message needs to be restored to the church of Jesus Christ and to the pulpits and the preachers who are sharing the word of God, that if you're going to follow Christ, it's going to involve you laying down your life for the good of others. Amen. We're called to serve. So today we're going to do so much more than just highlight the opportunity to serve in the church. Again, I believe if you'll grab a hold of this message, God's going to do something in many different areas of your life. All right, did I ask you already to turn to Mark chapter 10? Are you there? Mark chapter 10, if you're there, say amen. Mark chapter 10, and we pick it up in verse 35, and it says, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. That's a loaded question right there, right? That's a loaded statement. And, and Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, we would like for you to make the Kansas Jayhawks good at football again. And he said, you do not know what you are asking. <laughs> but the things that seem impossible with man, come on, are possible with God. Somebody give a good amen and a clap of praise. Come on. No, that's not what they said. That's not what they said. That's the Thomas translation right there. What they actually said was they said, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left when you enter into your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. 
can you drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm being baptized with? We can, they answered. And Jesus said, well, you will drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm being baptized with. But to sit at my right and left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. And if you go back and you look in the Greek, the original language, that word indignant means they unfollowed them on Facebook. And Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord over them, high officials exercise authority over them, not so with you. He's saying there's a system in the world that's going to look at success and status and leadership as one thing, but he says, I'm coming to flip the script, I'm coming to redefine it, and you are going to go and show the world what it really looks like to be great, to serve others. And he says, instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So I want to talk to you today about seven blessings of servanthood. No doubt there are many more, but seven is about all I feel like I could squeeze in. Seven blessings of servanthood. Number one is that servanthood is God's pathway to greatness. Did you catch what Jesus said right there? He said, the greatest among you shall serve. And you might have heard me mention this before, but it's because it's something that I believe needs to be radically restored into the body of Christ. And that's this, that we need great Christian people influencing, shaping the culture around us, making a difference, changing the world. We do not need a bunch of mealy mouse Christians who sit on our hands and are unafraid to step up and speak up. We need men of God, women of God, young people to be great, to embrace the idea that God has called you. He has created you. He has invited you. He has appointed you. He has anointed you to greatness. But the pathway to greatness is going to be different than the way that the world looks at it. It's going to come through servanthood. God does not despise greatness. He resists pride. But God to those who will humble themselves. The Bible says that in due time, he will lift you up. God does not despise greatness. He resists pride. And God is looking for people who will go in the anointing and the spirit of Christ and begin to serve those around them. And he's looking to favor you and promote you. If you will make your number one motivation not elevating and promoting yourself, but pointing people towards God and being a blessing to others. Servanthood is the pathway to greatness. Number two, servanthood is the pathway to Christ's likeness. And listen, that's really what we ought to be about, is becoming more and more and more like Christ. Beyond church attendance and participation, beyond doing things that, that maybe sound or seem religious, the ultimate goal for every believer is to every day, every moment. No doubt there will be some good days and some bad days. There will be some, some seasons of life where you take a couple steps forward and maybe you take a step back because we all continue to just wrestle and deal with our fallen nature. But the ultimate goal of this life, now that we've been saved, it's not just to slide into heaven or just to exist in this life or just to survive this side of eternity. It is to become more and more and more every day into the image of Christ. And we are most like Christ when our motivation and our focus is outward in serving others. And we are least like him when we are thinking about ourselves. And more and more and more we live in a self-focused culture. It's, it's always been that way. In fact, it's really the root of original sin. 
but more and more and more we live in a self-focused culture. And I did a little research, and I'm sure these numbers have actually increased since they published the research, but on just one platform, Google said that on its Android devices on a daily basis, there are 93 million selfies that are taken. In other words, moments where we're turning our phone away outward or inward to ourselves to capture ourselves. That same study said that uh, girls between the ages of 16 and 25 not picking on you, just telling you what the research says. And you can judge for yourself if you believe it's problematic or not. But that young women age 16 through 25 on average spend five hours a week uh, taking selfies. More and more and more we are becoming a self-centered, self-focused, self-promoting culture. And there's a reason that this is problematic. It's not just bad Christian behavior. This was the root and the heart of the fall of man. Because before Adam and Eve fell, there was a serpent named Lucifer who was in heaven. And he was one of three archangels in heaven. And he was dealt with because of a focus on self, his pride and his rebellion. And we find the accounting of this in Isaiah chapter 14. And as I read this for you, I just want you to watch something, okay? I want you to watch how many times Lucifer mentions I and me. I want you to just catch this. And I want you to see that if maybe you could just kind of discern the spirit that was operating behind the fall of Lucifer, which led to the fall of mankind and which led to a, a third of the angels being cast down from heaven that are now meddling and interfering in our lives of faith, trying to hinder and keep us from living in the fullness of what God has for you and for I as his sons and daughters and as believers. So Isaiah 14 is this account of the, of the reason why God had to deal with Lucifer. And watch what it says. It says, how you have fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning, You've been thrown down to earth, you who destroyed the nations of the world. For, now watch this. For you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. What was God's response? Instead, you will be brought down to the place of the dead, down to its lowest, lowest depths. At the center, at the heart of original sin, at the fall of Lucifer, which led to the fall of mankind, was self. He was self-motivated. What he was called to do and appointed to do and anointed to do was the worship leader of heaven. He was called to release worship in, into the throne room of God, and he began to, to, to gather that worship for himself. He began to become self-centered. But there's the good news is that God sent Jesus in the opposite spirit to deal with the fall of man. God's answer to the pride, to the sin, to the self-focus, to the rebellion of mankind, you and I, was to send Jesus as a humble servant in the opposite spirit. And Isaiah 61 is where we find a prophetic passage speaking about the anointing that would rest upon Christ and thus would be available to you and me. And now as I read this, I want, I want you to watch how it's completely opposite of what we just read in Isaiah 14 where Lucifer was saying, I, me, myself, and I. Watch what, what God anoints Jesus to do. It says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim freedom for the captives, release from darkness for the prisoners, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, comfort all who mourn, provide for those who grieve in Zion, bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called the oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord 
for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins, restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Every one of the things that God was anointing Jesus to do and calling and inviting you and I to partner with him to do is outward focused. It's all outward focused. None of it is about me, myself, and I. None of it is about building my platform, my church, my denomination, my ministry, my Facebook following. It's all anointed to be pointed towards other people. If you want to operate in the anointing of Jesus in your life, and come on, how many of you want the anointing of God in your life, the, the favor, the grace, the, the, the power of God to rest upon you? The anointing, that's what the anointing of God is. It's, a, it's an ability to do things outside of your own strength, your own wisdom, your own experience, your own intellect. It's the favor and the grace of God, and there's an anointing for relationships. There's an anointing for marriage. There's an anointing for business. There's an anointing, I even believe, for other things like athletics and like education. There's an anointing that God wants to reveal to you, but, and you will, it will rest upon you, and you'll begin to discover it when you begin to center your heart on being a blessing to others. Whatever it is that God has invited you to, called you to, graced you for, um, and, uh, um, um, invited you to be the title, the, the position, the role, the function, begin to point it to others and watch how you will begin to walk in the anointing of God. Number three, servanthood is God's prescription for healthy relationships. Again, we're talking today about seven blessings that follow servanthood, a commitment to serve others with your life. And in Philippians 2, verse 5, watch what it says. It says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Your translation might say, have the same attitude as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. And right there, your translation might say bondservant. And that's actually a better translation of that word for it to say bondservant. I'll tell you why here in a moment. And it says that he being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Somebody ought to say amen. amen. So it says, in your relationships with one another, have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. Servanthood is God's prescription for healthy relationships and friendship in work relationships, and especially in marriage relationships. And I just want to encourage you, if you want to begin to uh, attract the favor of God in relationships, begin to take an interest in others above yourself. And this is beginning to, I believe, become to, beginning to become a lost skill, a lost art, a lost commitment, a lost grace, because again, we're so consumed with self in our culture. And for us to begin to just say, you know, when I encounter someone, I want to just begin to become disciplined, to make my focus first and foremost how I can express my interest, my care, and my concern for what's going on in their life. How many of you ever met someone where you share some, something that you're going through, maybe a problem you're going through, and they just quickly begin to just tell you about the problem that they have that they think is bigger than the problem that you have? Or how many of you have ever 
maybe had an opportunity to share a blessing or a breakthrough that God has accomplished in your life and that person just quickly begins to just tell you about what just happened in their life. Come on, can we just agree that that just kind of steals the joy out of the relationship and at least that moment in the conversation? And here's the thing is I'm not casting stones because I can recall at certain times where I've been that person. Because of insecurity, because of a desire to be appreciated, because of a desire to be wanted, and I'm just telling you that there's something that would begin to happen in the grace and the favor that would rest upon your ability to, to uh, mature relationships and to enjoy relationships when we would make a predetermined commitment. When I encounter someone, I am going to make a determined decision to take an interest in their life. What's God doing in your life? How are things going in your life? How's your family? Tell me about your family. What's go, what, how, tell me about this or that. I saw that you guys went, to, and, and we begin to just uh, uh, look to, for the opportunity to serve others through being a source of encouragement, of prayer, of blessing, of inspiration to them. If you want to operate in the anointing of Jesus in your relationships, look to serve others. And marriage, marriage is absolutely brutal on selfish people. And I believe that, personally, I believe that God created it that way. Because a big part of what he is doing and forming and fashioning in our life is causing a crucifixion of self in our life. And I believe that he, he knew what he was doing when he called you as an introvert to be married to an extrovert. He knew what he was doing when he called you who are a who are a morning person, to be married to someone who's grumpy until 11 a.m. He knew what he was doing because he was causing you to be dependent upon him, to rely upon him, and to have to be focused on serving that person's needs, that husband's needs, that wife's needs. And I'm just telling you, when what began as a servant-hearted relationship, because when you're starting out trying to win the heart of that man or that woman, come on, you're cooking the favorite meals, you're doing the favorite things, you're, be, you're willing to watch the Chiefs game until 10.30 at night, you're willing to watch two football games on a Sunday afternoon and you sit there and you did it and you didn't like it then, but you did it anyways. Why? Because in that moment, your posture was servanthood. But once you secure the relationship, the temptation that we all face, Come on, I'm preaching to myself. I'm, I'm, I'm not preaching to the choir today. I'm preaching to myself. The temptation that we all face is to begin to take for granted the relationship, take for granted the intimacy, take for granted and begin to drift away from a posture and an attitude of what can I do to win your heart? What can I do to be a blessing for you? And I'm telling you that that's it's almost inevitable that that's going to happen in relationships and especially marriages, even Christian marriages. And I'm encouraging you today that if that's you, that's where you maybe realize you are in your marriage, you're in good company. Don't look around the room today, but you're in good company. Other people are probably going through the same thing. But here's the good news on the flip side, that you don't have to fall back in love. You don't have to revisit the emotions. It's not that you didn't marry the perfect person or the soulmate of your soul that, that God should have sent to you. You married the right person. If you'll go back and you'll just rededicate yourself to, to a determined process.
process of outserving that person. Just watch how the joy, just watch how the intimacy will begin to return to the relationship. Just watch how the strife and the disconnection will begin to cease because marriage was always intended to be about serving others. It was always intended to be about, and here's when it begins to be about what that person can do or should do for me. Again, the anointing of God just vacates the premises. And your relationships with one another, it says, and your relationships with one another have the same attitude or mindset of Christ Jesus. Man, what was his mindset, his attitude? I'm God, we read it, I'm, I'm, I'm fully God, I've got all the rights of deity of heaven, and I'm laying it down. Do I have a right to this? Yes, I do. Do I have a right to expect you to do that for me? Yes, I do, but I'm laying it down, and I'm approaching you like a servant, lowly and humble in heart, and it's the servant-hearted nature of Christ that is the reason that this room is filled with Christ followers. It's the reason that all around the globe there are congregations and churches meeting in buildings like this and homes and in and, and fields worshiping Jesus. Not because he came and he bragged about how amazing and awesome and powerful and infinite he was, but because he was willing to lay all that down and approach us as a humble servant. If you want to walk in the anointing of God, in your relationship, refocus, rededicate. Maybe right now, this, this word, this challenge, this encouragement is burning on your heart. Maybe right now, before we even end the service and give an altar call, is the moment of time where you just want to do business with God and say, God, thank you for reminding me that you, you've called me to have the same attitude, the same mindset, the same approach, the same perspective, the same determination in my relationships as Jesus. Servanthood is God's prescription for healthy relationships. Two people determined to outserve one another with a good attitude and without keeping score. Number four, servanthood connects you to your life's destiny. I mean, I believe this with all of my heart. First Samuel 17 is the biblical example, but I've seen this played out in my own life. I grew up in the Texas Panhandle. I wanted to either be a baseball player, a lawyer, or a farmer, and I decided to be a farmer. And I went and I was pursuing building a farming business, and the Lord, and I got saved. I was lost. I had rebelled against God. I had drifted from God, and I was a pretty good kid. I mean, I was a hardworking guy, and I was a respectful guy, but I was living in the world and doing all the things that are associated with that. And one day while driving my 1994 Chevrolet pickup around that farm, checking those irrigation motors, the Spirit of God just filled the cab of my truck. And I got saved, I began to weep, I began to repent, I began to get right with God, and I knew right there in that moment in time I was called to ministry. And a few years later, I, was, um, I had answered that call, I had moved back quickly, I had moved back to Amarillo, Texas, and began to just serve in the local church in which I was, uh, really had taken for granted being raised up in. It was an awesome church. And a couple years after serving, just in a background role, in a background position, my parents moved to, to plant a church in West Central Texas, and I relocated there, and I just served. I took a job 
in a business that I never really wanted to be in. It was kind of a, a job I never, I didn't get a ton of joy out of. There were relationships and things, but I was willing to do whatever it took to just get there so that I could serve. And oftentimes that job and that career kind of had me even three or four states away from the place where we were planting this church. And I remember driving all through the night so that I could arrive back in Abilene, Texas at 6 a.m. so that I could go and hook up a trailer and drive it to the back of a, the Abilene Civic Center and I could unload that trailer to set up so that we could have church in 189 degree temperature weather with high humidity, and I, I would drive all through the night, and I would show up to do those things, and I'm not trying to toot my own horn, or I'm not trying to brag about it, but I'm just telling you that I believe the only reason that God has favored me and allowed me and blessed me and invited me and called me to do what I'm able to do and privileged to do and humbled to do and honored to do now, open up the word of God and share it with you, is because I was willing to drive through the night to show up to unload that trailer for three years. And I'm just telling you that servanthood connects you to God's destiny for your life. And in 1 Samuel 17, we find David, and it says this in verse 17, David, who's already, I want you to remember this, David has already been anointed to become king. And here's what happens in verse 17. One day, Jesse, David's father, came to David and he said, David, take this basket of roasted grain, these 10 loaves of bread, carry them quickly to your brothers, take these 10 cuts of cheese to their captain. David was a pizza delivery boy. David's DoorDash is probably what it was called. He was delivering pizzas to his brothers and he says, see how your brothers are getting along? Bring back a report on how they're doing. David had already been anointed king and is it possible that he could have said, but dad, can't you get one of the servants to do it? Because I've, I've got some things to do around here, around the place. I've got some friends to meet up with or whatever. But David was willing to say, yes, Dad, I'll take that bread. I'll take that cheese. I'll go to that battlefield. And the willingness to do something that seemed trivial and menial put him in the place where he stepped out into his destiny. Because it wasn't just an errand. It wasn't just a trivial task. It was God's invitation to put him right in the very place, right in the very moment where he would have the opportunity to step out onto the battlefield and slay the giant Goliath, stepping into the next season of God's destiny upon his life. Servanthood in quiet places, in unseen places, in hidden places, in trivial tasks, in menial tasks, will always connect you and prepare you for the greater destiny that God has for your life. The pathway to the new, the next, the more of God. And you better believe that in your life, just like David's life, he has a new, a next, a more upon your life. Some of you are saying, God, I'm getting tired of just doing this. God, I, 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 there's more that I have to offer. I'm just telling you, the pathway to the new, the next, and the more of God is always faithfulness with the now of God. Whatever he's invited you to do, whatever he's called you to do, whatever role you have in your workplace, whatever role you have in your company, whatever role you have in this church, whatever it is that God's given you to do, just continue to do it with all your strength, all your might, not as working for men, but as working unto the Lord. And just watch how it gets the attention and releases the favor of God on your life. Servanthood will connect you to destiny. Number five, servanthood will keep you in your destiny. And unfortunately, we got to turn the page and look at another chapter of David's life. 2 Samuel chapter 11, which is a story maybe some of you are familiar with, and here's how it goes. It says, in the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab. 
David sent Joab. In the spring of the year when David was supposed to be and was accustomed to going out to battle for whatever reason, in this season, maybe he had gotten comfortable, complacent, maybe he had gotten too busy because the kingdom had, be, had been built out and there was many previous victories and favor that God had released upon his life. I don't know what the reasons were, carelessness, complacency, busyness. But, but for whatever reason in the season that he was called to, that he was accustomed to going out to battle, it says David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army, laid siege. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. And many of you already know where I'm going. You know the rest of the story. Verse 2, late one afternoon after his midday rest, which is just a kind of a kind way to say he was taking a nap in the middle of the day. David got out of bed, was walking on the roof of the palace, and as he looked over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. And you know the rest of the story. Her name was Bathsheba. And he sent for her, and he slept with her, and he impregnated her, and then he initiated an evil process to have her husband murdered on the battlefield of Israel. And here's the point of the story. He should never have been on that roof. He should never have been on that roof. When David was on the battlefield with his brothers, he was a mighty man. He was more than an overcomer. He was more than a conqueror. He was taking ground. He was taking territory. He was slaying giants. But when he stayed back out of the place of servanthood, out of the role and the function that God had anointed him to and appointed him to, he was in big time trouble. What has God called you to? Because servanthood will always prepare you for your destiny and it will keep you in your destiny. The moment that you start to kind of drift from the things or the places that God has called you to, I'm telling you, I hope that you'll let me keep preaching in this church. But the day that they say my season is done preaching in this church, you better watch that I'm going to find another place to continue to serve God with whatever gift I have, with whatever ability that I have. Because I will not allow myself to be found on the rooftop when God has called me to be in the battlefield what has God called you to do start doing it with a servant heart it'll connect you to your destiny it'll keep you in your destiny number six servanthood connects you to something bigger and something greater and, and I want to read this and I, I tried to find a way to maybe just pull a couple of the verses but I'm going to read a lot of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and just let the word of God kind of do the preaching for me right here if you don't mind. Come on, that's not a bad thing to have more of the word of God than the opinions of man. And verse 12, 1 Corinthians 12 says this, for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Someone say one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And remember, we're talking about how servanthood connects you to something bigger and greater than yourself. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If an ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the body, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? 
If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose, as he saw fit. And if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts in one body. The eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are actually indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we actually bestow greater honor. Our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division. No division. Someone say no division. No division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ, individually members of it. An attitude of servanthood connects you to something bigger and greater than yourself. And I'm just telling you, there's something that God has graced you to. There's something that God has called you to. There's a part of the body that God has formed and fashioned and called you to be that is needed in this body of believers, not to mention the larger body of Christ. And he says in here, he says, stop comparing yourself. He says, don't, don't say, I wish I was this or I wish I was that because we don't need all eyes. We don't need all ears. We don't need all preachers. What you do in this ministry, in this body of believers, it matters. It makes a difference. Can I'm telling you? That regardless of what it is that you do or what in faith I believe you're about to step into as you engage with Serve Team Sunday, it makes a difference. You have a part. If you're welcoming people in the parking lot, if you're open doors, if you're chatting with people on social media, if you're pointing people in the right direction, if you're brewing the coffee, if you're making the coffee, if you're rocking the babies, if you're changing the diapers, it doesn't matter what you're doing. If you're running the camera, if you're running the computer, if you're running the audio, if you're doing anything, any of those things or anything in between, you have an important role in anything and everything that happens in the services that we host and in the ministries that we are about. And I'm just telling you, when someone shows up and they are greeted, they're showing up and they're maybe riddled with anxiety or fear of what this is going to go like or who are these people or is God really real and can God really forgive me and does God really love me and can God really restore me. I'm just telling you that there's a difference that's made when they are greeted with a warm smile from a friendly person who welcomes them in the spirit of family, which is what we're all about. I'm just telling you. There's no function or role that is insignificant in the body of Christ. It's what he's saying right there. The parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. What you do matters. I'm so thankful for people who are willing to come and serve. Hold the door open. Those guys and gals that come and serve on the gatekeeper's team so that we can have a safe, secure, prepared environment for which people, in which people can come and hear the word of God and, and, and receive from the heart of God over their life. First Peter 4, verse 7, we'll just underline this a little bit more for us. It says, the end of all things is near. Be alert, be sober, so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply. Love covers a multitude of sins. Come on, who's thankful for that promise? And it says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Verse 10, here's where I'm really driving to. Each of you should use whatever gift. Say whatever gift. You have received to serve others. As faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. 
If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. And it's part of the scripture. Someone really ought to say amen right there. Come on, amen. Hey, I want you to take a look at this video that our media team compiled that just highlights a few of the many people who come and serve and they're extending an invitation to you to come and be a part of serving here in this church with them. Take a look. At Rev City, our heart is to reveal Jesus in a way that revives hearts, restores relationships, and brings life. Serve teams help make that possible. Christ-like servant leadership development is a key goal of our culture here. More than just attenders and consumers, we are called to be contributors and producers of life-giving ministry and service to others. Being an active part of the serve team is a huge part of that process. This is why I serve. 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 I serve on the online team. I serve in the children's church department. Being of service every Sunday when I go to that cafe and serve a cup of coffee. I love seeing the smiles on people's faces. Right now in the online community, we're seeing a lot of people that are coming to Jesus. I've absolutely loved serving on the media team. Not only has it given me an opportunity to use the gifts God has given me to advance the kingdom of God, but it has also allowed me to be part of a family of believers that celebrate with each other, that have a lot of fun, that are also willing to be here for each other when you need them. You may think that serving is a hard thing, but I have found that I get way more out of serving than I put into it. Being on a serve team has allowed me to feel more connected to our church family and staff. I really love meeting people, that's why I serve. Simply by volunteering, I've gotten to know so many more people and feel connected. And mostly, I love that I'm not just coming to church and I'm doing something that connects people to Christ. Be like Jesus, let's just get in there and serve, let's help the church. Christ came not to be served, but to serve. Passion for Jesus and compassion for people motivate us. Everything we do is focused on Jesus and helping as many people as possible experience hope, freedom, and life in Christ. Reviving hearts, revealing Jesus. We are a family. We are a city. Welcome home. Hey, come on, give those people a hand. said, those who seek to preserve their lives will lose it, but those who are willing to give it away will find it. And I'm just telling you, just watch what will begin to happen. And again, this is about so much more than recruiting volunteers. The church would be better served to stop recruiting volunteers and begin to disciple servants. Because if we caught this, if we got this, if this became alive on the inside of us, there would be plenty of people to do all the things that churches need volunteers to do. 
We're not recruiting volunteers. We're, we're establishing a culture where we understand we don't exist. We don't come to church for what we can get. I hope you're blessed. I hope you're encouraged. I hope you're healed. I hope you find relationships. But I'm telling you that there's also a call that we have, a mandate that we have to call you to give your life away so that someone else can hear about Jesus. So that someone else's kids can begin to grow in the Bible and begin to understand and know that there's a God who created them and is with them and for them and on their dark days is going to be standing with them and seeing them through and seeing them to all the things that he has for their life. Come on, we don't have to do this. We get to do this, which takes me back to that place. Remember I asked you to just kind of mark in your spirit where it says that Jesus came as a servant. I remember your translation might say bondservant. That's actually the better translation. And we could get kind of tripped up with that concept of slavery or servanthood, but here's what we don't often understand is that there was a Jewish perspective, there was a Jewish understanding of this concept that really was intended to unveil or unpack to us really the significance to us. And here's what it was is that every seven years there was an opportunity for people to be set free from debts. And there were people who had been, who had been put into servanthood into a household because there was someone, a benefactor, someone who had the resources, someone who had the means to come and make a way. In other words, there were people who maybe had gotten into significant trouble, significant debt, and someone stepped up and said, I don't want that person to go to debtor's prison. I'm going to step up and I'm going to take care of that person's debt. And in their place, there was a commitment to serve in that person's house for the remainder of those seven years until the point at which they would be declared permanently and legally free as if they had, had paid the debt themselves, the debt that they couldn't pay. Come on, how many of you can see kind of the picture of the gospel working in this? And here's what a bondservant was. Because remember, it says Jesus was a bondservant. And remember, even the apostle Paul, when he would open his letters, remember he would say, Paul, a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ, an apostle to the church. And before Paul announced who he was or what, he was, what his function was, he announced the motivation. It was a bondservant. And here, here's why that was significant, because at the end of those seven years, that person who, again, had been rescued from debtor's prison, who had, who had had their debt that they had accrued because of maybe unwise decisions or foolish decisions or sin, fully paid, they were fully released. And here's what a bondservant was. A bondservant was when someone says, you know what, I've got so much gratitude in my heart, appreciation in my heart for what was done for me, for the price that was paid for me. I no longer have to stay. I'm fully released. I'm fully set free. I now choose to stay and to serve as a member of this family. That's what bond servant was and Jesus and Paul he said we're bond servants we don't have to do this I'm telling you you don't have to do this to get to heaven you don't have to do this you don't have to serve we get to because of in light of compelled by everything that Jesus already did in our life man the weight of my sin, the amount of debt that I had accrued through my decisions, through my sins, it was completely paid for at the cross of Jesus Christ. Would you stand to your feet this morning? I want you to, as you're standing, would you just do what we do often as a custom in this house? Would you just ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, what are you speaking to me? 
What are you speaking to me? What are you doing in me? What are you reminding me of? What are you revealing to me today? And I'm just telling you, he, he cares deeply about your destiny. He cares deeply about your relationships. He cares deeply about your future. And so I trust that as you're asking him that question, especially if you're allowing your heart to be soft towards him, you really want to hear what he has to say to you, that he'll start to speak to you. He'll remind you of something that he's calling you to go back to or revisit. He'll, he'll, he'll remind you of something that he's asking you to rededicate yourself to in your marriage or in your workplace with your children. Maybe he's revealing something new to you today. He, he, allow it to just permeate your heart and become a part of the fabric of who you are. And Lord, we just thank you as you're speaking to people. I thank you, Lord, that there would be soft hearts to hear and receive and to grab a hold of everything that you're doing in our lives. Lord, we commit, we, we declare, we want to be. Let this church family, let this body of believers, let this congregation, Lord, let us be a reflection of the servant nature of Christ to those around us, starting in our homes and in these gatherings and in this church and in our workplaces and in our community. Let, it, let us be a reflection of the servant nature of Christ. And Lord, I pray that as we recommit ourselves, rededicate or deepen our resolve to that end, Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you're inviting us to lives of greatness, God. I thank you, Lord, that that gets your attention, Lord, that you'll even begin to favor or promote, God. There'll be an anointing that will rest upon people who will make their life not about themselves, their own status or success or significance, but about what's most significant to you, and that's the purpose of God in serving others in their lives. We commit and we declare, let us be that people in Jesus' mighty name. I do pray specifically and individually over marriages, Lord, where maybe that's, there's been a drifting. And, and just because of maybe things that just go with the territory, you've had the kids, you've built the company, there's busyness, there's distractions, there is kind of a, just an appreciation that that person is just faithful to be there for you. But I'm, I just want to encourage you today that just allow the Spirit of God to just breathe upon that spirit of servanthood in your relationship and do it with a good attitude and don't keep score and just watch what God will do as he just brings renewed life, renewed joy, renewed friendship, renewed intimacy into your marriage. I'm not sure how long it'll take for you to experience those things, but I believe if you'll do what the Bible says and not grow weary of doing good in a due season, you will reap that harvest of increased friendship, joy, and intimacy in your relationship in Jesus' name. And lastly, as you just maybe maintain that posture of hearing from God and receiving from God, I wanna give people the opportunity to come home to God, to say yes to Jesus. Maybe you once knew God, loved God, served God, you've gotten busy, you've drifted from that relationship, and I wanna encourage you today that if that's you, just like in the Bible in that parable of the prodigal son, that there's, there are arms of a good father waiting to welcome you back into a relationship with him that transcends religion. He knows where you've been, he's seen what you've done, he knows what you're going through, he knows what you're up against. And just like in that parable, that father didn't meet that, 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 father didn't meet that prodigal son on the edge of the property to hold him to an account for all the mistakes that he made and the ways he violated the relationship. He welcomed him with open arms and he said, let us throw a feast, let us kill the fatted calf. Here's a ring on your finger, here's a robe on your back. I'm so thankful that just one of my children has come back home and that's the posture of God towards you today. If you've drifted from him, or maybe you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus. You've never received the free gift of salvation that none of us could earn or deserve. It's a free gift that we receive, grace by faith, 
And if that's you, you've got your weighed down by the burden of your sin, or you've drifted from God, right now's your moment, right now. And here's what I want to ask you to do, just a simple outward gesture of a powerful inward work that God's doing in your heart. Would you just lift your hand towards heaven? And would you just say, that's me, I'm coming home to my Father. That's me, I, I need forgiveness. That's me, I need a fresh start, a new life. And if you're online, I want to encourage you that it might be powerfully important for you to do the same thing. Just lift your hand high towards heaven. Thank you, Lord, for these precious people. If you raised your hand, and there were several people that did in this room, I trust many more online, you can lower it. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray this prayer with you. We do it with you. We do it with you. Because we want you to feel, we want you to hear, we want you to know that right away there's a family of God that's going to come alongside you and help you, encourage you, strengthen you, champion you to begin to move forward in your life of faith. We'll pick you up if you stumble, help you keep moving. And we do it for a second reason, and that's that it just reminds us every week we don't graduate from grace. God's building us, he's maturing us, but it's all built on that unmerited foundation of grace. So come on, pray this. Come on, there were some amazing people that said yes to Jesus. Let's pray it together. Pray it boldly. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I recognize my need for a Savior, and I thank you for sending Jesus to pay the price I could never pay, to make a way that I might have a new life and a fresh start. I give you my life. I give you my trust. And because of Jesus, come on, say it loudly, I will never be the same and then rejoice with all of heaven for the precious people who came home to Christ today. Man, God's doing something good in your life. Hey, come on, let's worship the Lord one more time together, and then they'll come and dismiss you, get you about your day.